Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? Thank you for hitting on the button. Thank you as ever to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality solutions and customer service and installations. I think I added a little extra uh, ad lib from the blurb there, but check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham online, B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media jason briggs and his fine team can put you uh in place for whatever suits your budget your vision through that company serene av it's not just fantastic world-renowned bang olufsen equipment they can source you but kind of whatever's uh, on your on your radar so that's uh, bang olufsen cheltenham thank you to them thank you to cytoplan food-based supplement company for their association with the podcast as well we've been taking the supplements the draper family for 20 plus years under the stewardship of my father dr mark draper general practitioner doctor and also a micronutritionist particularly uh, consumed by trace elements he's fascinated by selenium zinc and the relative depletion and ongoing depletion in uk soil samples in particular would have to check i think when you look at the supplements what your kind of micronutrient content of the soil is where where you're on the world there's a lot of concern globally around the soil isn't there so that's one of the issues that prompted my father to help work with cytoplan as a consultant we still pay for the supplements and albeit a discounted rate which we can offer you so if you head to cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co Dot uk the code for the discount at checkout is draper 10r so my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters the numerals one zero and the capital letter r well thank you for being here i think you'll uh, love this podcast i think for someone who's so successful so early in life it is phenomenal um even before the likes of, of, of prodigies, I suppose, in, in Formula One. Maybe this is analogous to Formula One star Max Verstappen, actually, with Phil Hansen in endurance racing here. Won Le Mans 24-hour, that fabled race two years ago at the age of 20. Youngest Brit to do that. He's been the uh, youngest world endurance champion as well. Uh, he's just 22 years of age. Comes from Berkshire, home counties not far from London in, in the UK. And it's just a, a very captivating character and speaks really detailed here about the physical challenges, the mental challenges of endurance racing, his ambitions, and a lot more. Just incredible to think he is only 22 years of age. So here he is, Phil Hansen. Phil Hansen, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Very good. How are you? Yeah, well, I appreciate your patience because we're navigating the uh, the various perils and trials and tribulations of Zoom. So it's great to it's great to see you. Whereabouts are you in the in the season for the uh, European Le Mans series? Is that about to start? Yeah, European Le Mans series is about to start in a couple of weeks, and the first round of the World Championship has just been and done um, in America last weekend. Well, how did it go? Uh, pretty badly, honestly. Um, yeah, it was it was quite quite a difficult weekend for us. And the outcome, at least, um, we had probably the most competitive car yeah. throughout all the testing. Um, and as a, as, a, as a crew, as a lineup, you all have to be um, pretty flawless in the race. And uh, one of my teammates had a had a more tricky race than than we did. Um, so we had to kind of amend the strategy to try and you know prevent us losing too much ground. And um, and in doing that, we had the worst possible timing for what followed. There was a red flag. A full course yellow came out a couple of laps after we pitted so that awesome strategy that we jumped on um really bit us back quite hard so um we ended up seventh which was not not horrible but um the way the point structure was and the fact that we we needed to maximize the points given that we had a car advantage on everyone else in terms of pace it was uh it wasn't the best weekend wow yeah it's, it doesn't sound it's interesting as well the dynamics because we obviously the people that watch formula one and we cover that at sky you've got teammates but they're kind of rivals as well whereas you you guys are sort of teammates in the truest sense of the word but there must be a tension there when you're you're kind of reliant upon each other's performances you must have to bite your tongue sometimes if someone makes a mistake 
There is, yeah. And like you said, in, in F1, especially your teammates, kind of your, your number one enemy, your, you know, your yeah. main competitor. Um, and you have that small dynamic in, in endurance racing, but it's kind of overshadowed with the fact that, you know, you want your teammates to do well, because if he doesn't do well, like we saw this weekend, um, you, you really struggle. So you're trying to bring each other on. You kind of hope they're nearly as quick as you <laughs> and maybe struggling a little bit, but enough that you can win the races. But quite often you just need everyone on the same pace to be able to really win. So is, is the competition, it's more internal in terms of the team's sort of ranking of you as a driver or perception of you? Is that where the, the, comp, the competitive element is? Yeah, a little bit like that. But also because endurance racing is over a longer period of time, most races are six hours um, and most European Le Mans series races are four um there's obviously different things that play into how quick a driver can seem because um we're limited on tires so mm. not every pit stop we're getting new tires and you kind of don't really get that feeling in f1 because the strategy is normally the same sometimes people are on soft sometimes people are on medium sometimes they're a quality soft or a quality medium versus a new soft new medium but generally it's it's kind of you're just following the race as it goes on with us you have that sort of double stinted tie up scenario where you you know you have a change tires in that pit stop versus a guy who's maybe had two sets of new or yeah. a guy who's you know ran at later in that day where the track was cooler and it was at a greater evolution so you have all these little things that just kind of change the performance and and perception again of, of pace what, what what attracted you to endurance racing because i know you're only 22 years of age and you, you've set some landmarks already in terms of achievements of particularly winning the Le Mans 24 where, you know, a couple of years ago and you're only only 20. What attracted you to the, this element of, of motor racing rather than, I guess, the, the more conventional Formula One, et cetera? I kind of um, stumbled on it accidentally, really. Um, it wasn't an intended plan. It was just because of poor judgment and guidance in my early part <laughs> of my career. Not, not to say that I'm in any way, shape or form um, regretting where I've ended up now because I think it's a really great space to be in especially for for my career and longevity in the sport yeah um, but it's it, it definitely happened by accident we were with uh, a sort of family-run team that were well out of their depth um, and we kind of jumped straight into endurance racing without having given anything else um, it's it's you know real consideration mm. um, and I think looking back there's obviously huge advantages of doing the single-seater ladder even if you're not trying to pursue F1, um, track time, quality simulations, you're constantly doing work on new tires and things like that. And you're racing people at the same level as you throughout. So, you know, F4, F3, F2. Um, and endurance racing, I kind of jumped in and there's immediately this comparison um, with a guy who's kind of been there as a pro. Um, and until you kind of get to that point, it's very difficult to, to know where you really stand, how many years of development does it really take? Because your pace comes and your consistency doesn't really come. Um, your traffic management comes early, but then you kind of make mistakes and there's all these other things. Um, and it's in some way easier in the single seater ladder because you're constantly compared against people with the same amount of experience as you. Mm. Um, and what I'm finding now is as I, you know, been racing for five years and this will be my sixth Le Mans when I go back this year, um, I will have that experience, but at a very young age now. So this is kind of, I'm in, in between two worlds, which is, which is great, <laughs> but it was all by accident. Yeah, it's a sweet spot, isn't it? So how many races a year do you have then? You've got the Le Mans European Series, which is what, six six races, then you have Le Mans 24, yeah. and then the, the world uh, event, which you're a champion in, um, world endurance event, is that what is that once a year or is that a series as well? That's also a series. So that's the World Endurance Championship, that's six races. And Le Mans is one of those races. Okay. So we um, there used to be eight rounds. I think even previously there was 10. Um, I think for cost caps, it's... It's now down to six. So I'm doing 12 full-time races, one in the LMS and one in WEC. Mm. Um, and then I'm doing um, a few races in the Param thing in America this year as well. And how many drivers per, per event? Like in the, in the European series, you said it's four hours. Would that be two of you in, in that? You can run two drivers. Nearly every team, I think every team this year is running three. Okay. Um, yeah, the European Le Mans series is a brilliant championship. I think there's probably more there's more cars in the european Le Mans series in lmp2 than there are in the work work um purely because of budget i think because obviously the world championship are longer races and the fact that you travel the world it means mm. it's, it's a much more expensive series um but yeah we have a competitive lineup in both um even <laughs> given that the first round of the world championship didn't go so well we were definitely the favorite heading into that so i think if we can get back on track and get some points back well we should be there and the other thing about WEC, which makes it interesting is Le Mans is double 
points for us. So a normal F1 weekend, you don't think about points. You no. just, uh, the guy who wins 25 points, second is 18, 15. We have the same point structure for our normal six-hour races for WEC and our normal four-hour races for LMS. But at Le Mans, it's double points. Yeah. What that means is the seven points difference between first and second is doubled. It's a 14-point difference. Wow, yeah. Um, and then other races that are longer than six hours have one and a half points. So the championship can often be won and decided at Le Mans. Um, last year, we had that work against us. We were leading the championship with a 25-point lead, which was huge heading into Le Mans. <laughs> and we finished last. We had an issue and we nearly retired the car. We were able to fix the issue, but it took us two hours to fix. And the only reason we still you know, participated is because we needed that one point by finishing. Um, but we'd lost 49 points to our main competitor who won the race. <laughs> Um, which completely shaped our championship. Um, and that that really does add a massive variable for us. What's it like racing at Le Mans 24, particularly your first one? I mean, it's so iconic. It's, it's kind of steeped in, in cultural history, isn't it? The name recognition of that. It is, yeah. And I actually would rate, I raced go-karts at Le Mans. And I remember being there the first time in 2015, I think 2014 it might have been, and walking out the back of the karting paddock and seeing what was the exit of the Porsche curves. And I hadn't actually known the real extent of Le Mans. Neither had I grown up looking at Le Mans and being like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be a dream <laughs> to race that one day? Because my mind, I was just watching F1 all the time. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually know the extent of endurance racing and Le Mans until I really started racing, which was also quite crazy. Um, and I was talking about this with someone the other day that Le Mans is a really interesting um, week of events. We have our testing, we have a pre-test weekend, we have all our testing, and then just before the race, there's a day off where the team basically rebuild the entire car. They've been taking off parts throughout the testing and putting on life parts that are going to make it through the rest of the testing and throughout the race. And a lot of things just go on just for the race. So new brakes, a lot of stuff is life just for Le Mans because it's a 24-hour race. Otherwise, the lifing would expire. Um, but on that day, all the drivers do a driver's parade on the Friday, right before the race. And it's, yes. you know, it's a four hour driver's parade and you're probably out for like oh. six hours that day waiting in the heat of France in your race suit with like 80,000 fans, you know, all down the streets of Le Mans in the town. And you're on these sort of classic cars, sit on the back, throwing merchandise. And I remember being <laughs> so worn out by that driver's <laughs> parade on my first Le Mans because I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, And no one told me, Phil, take it easy, mate. It's going to be a pretty intense day of just like kind of, and I was there screaming, yelling, you know, so everyone was. Um, and I hadn't realized wow. that everyone, you know, was just taking a bit more easy than me. And I was, I went into my first month thinking, I'm so worn out. Yes, after yesterday's driving, not even the driving, just the parade. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's mental, it's mental energy maintenance. Is that, is that the key? So you, so that's four or six hours. So that takes you up to what, 30 hours for the, the event and I suppose you've got post race as well which you won't care about if you've, if you've done well but yeah. you, you have your adrenaline going but what but how much sleep can you get in that time how many hours are you driving in that in that spell as well yeah of course people often forget that the 24-hour race starts at three mm. so you have that whole day where you've been at the track for six hours before the race um so the 24 hours are suddenly 30 hours and by the time you finish the race obviously like you said it doesn't matter um once it's done you can pass out the minute <laughs> after if you'd want to but no one ever does you normally spend it's it's a 20 it's a 40 hour event for a lot of guys especially the mechanics and the, the, the crew um and in terms of sleep it's it's really dependent i used to think that it was sort of driver arrogancy and egos when they used to say oh i never sleep at the morning how little do you sleep some drivers just be like, I can't sleep in the morning. And I used to just think, what are you guys talking about? I sleep, I sleep great, you know. Really? An hour really? there, an hour there, normally like th three or four hours in the race until the year when we were challenging for the win. And I yeah. physically couldn't bring myself to sleep. I would be in that period of time in the night when we do our longest stints and you have the chance to get away for two hours um, and sleep in your motorhome. And my heart was racing and I was literally awake. Even if I closed my eyes, my brain was constantly thinking. I didn't want to have that feeling of being woken up by someone saying, Phil, yeah, um, a GT hit us or we run into issues. We had this failure, whatever. Mm. And because of that, my eyes were shut, but my brain was just running thoughts throughout <laughs> the whole time. I literally didn't sleep maybe more than 30 minutes that long. Wow. Um, how how long was the recovery after that then, do you think, after you get 
get away from Le Mans. When's the next? I don't know how long, how long till the next race after that. I think there's always a week break at Le Mans. This year it's um had a more more of a busy schedule. I think I have a, a Le Mans, which is is more than a week event because you now have the test all built in, so it's like a sort of 10, 12 day thing. Mm. Then I'm I have a week off. Um, then I would fly to America for a, a race in in this program thing that I'm doing, um, and then followed by a back to back European Le Mans series and then World Championship around wow. <laughs> how do you condition yeah. yourself for that what is the i mean i guess if you've been through that now physically you're training for potentially these ma- these mammoth events is it a, a lot of cardio how do you, what's the nutrition the fitness aspect of it like yeah it's, it's, it's a balance of everything really um always when i lead to the one i end up doing some longer steady state cardio um people don't often realize that although it's an endurance sport it's really intervaled heart rate so you um mm. you end up just doing intervals um and at Le Mans obviously there's three drivers so we're only really driving for eight hours in that 24-hour period and we're not doing eight hours in one stint we're doing it in a sort of two to three hour stint technically we can go up to a four-hour stint in the six-hour period okay we end up doing sort of two two and a half hours at a time um, but at a heart rate of, you know, anywhere between 130 and 160. So it's still a pretty intense workout when you look at it that way. Yes. And you're burning, you're burning, you know, thousands of calories throughout this event. Um, so you have to have that sort of baseline cardiovascular conditioning. Mm. Um, and at the same time, the fundamental strengths to be able to, to hold your G G forces throughout that time. Um, and the repetition muscle memory to be able to do that all, um, the cars are actually getting slower year on year on year on year. So it's getting easier. Um, Why are they getting slower? Um, there's a, a new class coming in, which, so I race LMP2 currently. Um, mm. They used to be an LMP1, like Formula 2, Formula 1. LMP1 stopped a few years ago and they've tried to reinvent that class and they've called it hypercar. And they've managed to get a lot of interest from many different manufacturers now coming back to the sport. You know, Ferrari coming back for the first time in, I don't know how many years. Oh, cool. Um, all the big VW manufacturers, Porsche, Audi, Although Audi announced that they, they might not um, partake, but Peugeot, Toyota, uh, Cadillac, you know, BMW have showed interest. There's, there's, there's going to be about 10 manufacturers, Alpine. So that's going to be great. But in order to do that at a reasonable cost for these manufacturers, they've had to slow the cars down. And because the LMP2 was created in 2017, when the old LMP1 was around, we are, as a, as a concept, way too fast of a car. Yeah. Um, it didn't make much sense that an LMP2 with a, a very small budget would be able to win outright against a manufacturer developing their own car, spending, you know, 20 times the amount of money that an LMP2 team would spend. Um, so in order to do that, they've slowed everyone down to open up that window for that top class, which is great for the sport. Yeah. Um, and I completely understand it. As long as I can find my way into that top class, <laughs> then I'll be happy. Um, is, yeah, there, is, is there more parity in endurance racing than there is in, in Formula One? Um, yeah, somewhat. All yeah. the motorsports a bit a bit like that, but um, but yeah. Because you never know in Formula One. The, the Formula One is always the great quandary, isn't it? How good a driver is because it depends so much on the the team and the car. Yeah, and they have they have a balance of performance in endurance racing, so. Um, if there's one car that's kind of running away with it, they'll, be, they'll do things to limit that, or they'll do, or they give options and opportunities for other cars to upgrade, and not that one car. Um, so there is more of a balance, but also people play the game. Um, mm. You're not going to be the guy to show all your cards at the first three races of the year, and then head into uh, the morning with the biggest BOP. So then you have people playing really, really clever BOP games. But what <laughs> ends up happening is everyone's playing the game, so you're kind of level anyway. Ah, um, I see. Yeah. But the organizers do a really, really pretty good job of balancing it. You just have to trust the process and do play the game a little bit to make sure that you're not getting the weakest hand at Le Mans. Um, but also there's there's so many variables in terms of car setup and things you can do throughout the week that can bring you performance. Yeah. Um, that mean that even if, and strategy and things like this unfold massively, strategy mistakes, um, attrition of the car, you know, Le Mans used to be in, in, in the old days, used to be an event where manufacturers could show that these cars could race for 24 hours and it would highlight the reliability of these cars. Yeah. Um, and also do that in a performance scenario. But nowadays it's a 24 hour sprint race. It's a 24 hour race where you just drive absolutely flat out. <laughs> you don't really take many consolations and look after the car anymore. The cars are built to withstand 24 hours of abuse. 
Le Mans um, 24 is three drivers. Are you using the same car then? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, we're all using the same car. We have inserts in the seat. So the seat is a carbon shell. Mm. And then we have what's basically millions of beads that we pour with a resin and it molds around our body and sets off. Um, and we do it in, in order. So the biggest driver will have the base and then any driver that's smaller will have a small insert. So we have to make slight compromises. Normally everyone's legs, we don't have a, a, an insert for, but we yeah. have an insert as a back piece to bring us the right distance from the, the steering wheel. Um, and So they're looking for the drivers at a similar size? Is that kind of part of the strategy? You no, know, there, are, there are a lot of teams that have that, that have drivers of a similar size and they can use some. Sometimes it's not uncommon that two drivers use the same seat. Mm. Um, but obviously, there's, there's compromises to this. Um, what we have, we have one big base that a mechanic does, and then all three of us have our own insert. And the benefit of that is that every driver then can make an, a, a change to his insert at any point throughout the season and not upset the other two drivers. In the <laughs> past, I've had it where I've been the base or my teammates been the base and I've had an insert and... I've wanted to change something which has affected his base and then affected my other driver yeah. or I've been the base wants to make a change and then it's affected both the inserts of the other guys. So you have to, once, you know, once you line the, 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 like I said, the beaded seat with, with the Nomex fabric, the fireproof um, insulating sort of fabric, you, um, you need to be pretty confident that the seat isn't going to change that much because you're going to, upset a couple of guys and seats take a while you know you always i have never had a seat that's gone quick it's always been yeah sure how long do we have two hours and it flies by once you've made all the jumped in and out made the changes allowed time for it to set um yeah. so yeah we have we have obviously our own seats we do a driver change during the pit stop when we refuel um the refueling time is between 30 and 35 seconds cool. um but our, our driver change is normally sub 20 so around 20 to 18 Brilliant. to 20 seconds. Yeah, so you don't have the time. Like if you've got my wife or whatever, I'd get into the car after she's driven it and you change the seat and the, the, the rear view. Yeah, you don't, you don't have the waiting time of the electric button with the seat going yeah. <laughs> slowly going close to the steering wheel. Yeah. Um, no, so yeah, it's, it's you know, that's the other thing at Le Mans. We don't just walk out into the car and just get going. Le Mans starts with an absolute rush of adrenaline because you can't lose any time in the pit stops. You need to be in the car. And if there's one issue with the belts, if, you know, when you come in, the first thing you do is loosen the belts as they run around the car. Then you undo the belts, which is obviously on one, one hinge. Yeah. And then you, have to, and then you, and then you have a procedure in our car, we stick the top belt via Velcro to the ceiling. So as we get out, the other belt kind of folds over the door and the other belts are with bungees. They're all kind of like sprung okay. apart. Yeah. Um, and then it's the, the, the driver gets in and we have a driver changer that's like, like he's, you know, the fastest person ever to kind of put all these buckles in and it, it's a six point harness or well, five point harness rather. So it's five things clicking in at the same time. I'm putting my radio on then I'm changing whatever buttons on the steering wheel are different from me and my teammates. So if he just finishes triple stint on the same tires, I'll be reducing the TC. Uh, making sure the pedal map's the same, why well, I want the steering weight's the same, um, doing a radio check, <laughs> and whilst all that's happening, then tightening the belts. Because that's, in tw that's in 20 seconds? That's in 20 seconds, yeah. Wow. wow. But most of the time is gained or lost with the driver getting in and out of the car because the cars aren't easy to get in and out of. Yeah. You know, our legs are well in front of us, um, and our bum is actually the, the lowest point of our body. Sometimes when I watch F1, I, I question, do people really know how F1 drivers are sat? Because, um, yeah. No. Uh, like I said, our bum is the lowest part of our body, even endurance racing, and our feet are higher than us. So is, is that better for the is that better for circulation to have your legs up? Is that the theory behind that? Or the main reason behind that was for performance to get the body as low as possible for weight, okay. weight distribution. Um, it's also yeah, quite a strong position to sit in. Um, you're kind of lying back and like I said, fully supported by the seat. Mm. Um, so yeah, that driver change process is is make or break if you haven't practiced it, and we do a lot of practice with it um, to make sure that we're not losing any time and we can be consistent. It's almost like a soldier drilling a kind of gun kind of uh, assembly or something like that, isn't it? <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That repetition, yeah. yeah. So what? So when you when you go into it and you you have your I guess conditioning, are you doing endurance weights as well rather than sort of maximal stuff? Because I'm, I'm guessing your physical weight is significant as well, so you can't blow up too much on you know the, the yeah. uh, high reps and stuff exactly um so obviously a driver's weight is very important because you're only going to limit your own performance 
So we have at different tracks, it varies, but for us at the weight and speed that we're going, it's around five kilos is a tenth to so a tenth and a half a lap. Um, so to be five kilos heavier of muscle, yeah, it's going to be a lot easier, but I'm going to lose a lot of time um, on the straight throughout the corners, yeah, um, especially over a race distance. So I'm trying to be as light as possible. So, you know, making sure I'm not eating a huge amount of food. Um, it's more about my caloric intake than it is what I train. Um, but also, yeah, you're right with the strength stuff, trying to be as strong as possible um, without putting on muscle mass. So um, I can do one rep max stuff and kind of focus on pure strength, but I'm really not meant to be doing volume stuff. So like your bodybuilding type programs of like 10 to 14 reps, um, mm. because that stuff's just going to increase muscle mass. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, that also means not eating a huge amount of a huge calorie surplus that all this training is just going to bulk me up. Um, so it's, it's that whole balance, um, which, which makes it interesting. It's interesting because you're so young, you've achieved so much, but I think what a lot of people tell you as you get older as a, a man, you tend to fill out a bit naturally and broaden. Is that something that the older guys have to, to battle a little bit? Yeah. And that's what they always, they always make a dig at me, you know, Phil, don't be too heavy because when you get older, you're going to get older. <laughs> um, and it is something that happens, but also, um, I think it's your metabolism slows down as you get older is what everyone says. As you get older, you also do less physical activity, which slows down your metabolism. Yeah, yeah, so, I think, yeah. I think it's exactly. always an excuse. I think it's less physiology and more kind of what you actually do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's what I, that's what I tell them, which really makes them happy. <laughs> so, but on a rate, say Le Mans 24, I mean, how many calories do you have to consume? And I'm guessing you have to get it sort of glucose to you for your brain to function because it's a high brain needs glucose doesn't it to function i think yeah exactly and i actually personally use a few supplements throughout the weekend um so i have uh glycogen gels and like you know quick fast absorbing energy gels um a huge amount of sugar you take before you get in the car things that you're going to burn um and in terms of calories like you i i think last year at lamona was around six thousand calories in the race whoa um throughout the 24-hour period and are you um, eating meals or can you eat meals? Because things that yeah, are you heavy. can, you can, but you also need to be careful of that sort of carb coma feeling. I don't want to suddenly feel slow. I don't want to mm. feel, you know, really great as I go to bed, but I'm going to yeah. be up in an hour and a half. Um, Bowl of pasta, yeah. It's kind of like, exactly, yeah. Because I need to, I need to stay fast. So, um, I mean, the normal meal I end up asking for is chicken, pasta, spinach, because it's got one of everything. Mm. Um, but as the race goes on, I stray a bit away from that. I remember one year I was like, I really need a Yorkshire pudding. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have them? Yeah, well, uh, the, the the team catering are great. They they pretty much make me whatever I want. Um, but yeah, Haribo's things like this are great um, for like quick release sugars. And like I said, I, I supplement quite a lot, so glycogen, BCAAs, um, all that sort of stuff is really important. And then obviously to stay hydrated. So I take um, I'm not just drinking water. I'm drinking electrolyte water. Um, mm things that have that are going to help me hydrate because you're obviously sweating a huge amount of time um, amount in this in this 24-hour period um, and also the race is in Le Mans which is the middle of France in June so yeah. kind of the peak summer um, you know, we're getting closer to the the warmest time of the year there um, so it's not uncommon that the race could be held in 30 something degree temperatures um, and at night obviously it's much cool, cooler and that, that actually brings me on to the fact that at night we do our longest stints so we normally try and pyramid it. We we start off with double stints, yeah, and then we go to triple, and then maybe even a quadruple stint. And then as we get close to the morning, there's this window where the track set its quickest is the golden hour when the, the sun's come up, so you can see where you're going again. Mm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and the actual set, the, the air temperature is cool, but the the, the sunlight's warming up the actual track. But, but um, what state are you in at that stage mentally? Exactly. And, and this is where all the mistakes happen. You find most of the mistakes happen in the early morning. Mm. Um, as everyone's pushing a bit harder because they've, if they've survived the night, the fatigue is starting to set in in that morning. And there's always a kind of four-hour period where suddenly all the mistakes start cropping up, people spinning, people crashing, loads of little things, contact with GTs. And you need to make it through the night, but more importantly, through that morning. Yeah. With four hours to go, you should be you should be pretty much um, on it. What about things like two o'clock in the morning? There's that circadian rhythm thing, isn't there? Where you get that slight heady feeling. Do you get that when you're driving, or is it the adrenaline that sort of over overcomes? Yeah, yeah I'd say the adrenaline kind of covers that. I'd be a bit concerned if I'm yeah. kind of you know, nodding my head. As yeah, I'm yeah. 
Oh, but it's interesting because how much I don't even know how much adrenaline you can pump. I mean, you guys are, t- are testing that to the max. As you say, you get the dump when you start, when you get into the car, and then I suppose you have to try and dissipate that a little bit as you relax into a, a two, three hour drive. What what, what yeah, is the adrenaline exactly. like during the? Well, there's constant things, so it's not like um, it's not like a just driving out around on your own because you're constantly racing someone. There's there's mm. a reason for that that level to stay elevated, um, and also we have traffic at the Mon. People often forget there's four classes racing at Le Mans there's you know your top class which used to be LMP1 and now is going to be hypercar LMP2 which is the biggest and most competitive class where this year we have 23 cars wow. um, then your GT field which are much slower so you have your Ferraris your Porsches your Lamborghinis your um, Bentleys you know whatever um, all the GT cars um, so we're you know 10 seconds faster than these GT cars so we're constantly overtaking them into the corner at the middle of the corner on the exit of the corner whilst fighting other lmp2s and whilst occasionally being passed by a hypercar so we're in the mirrors looking ahead trying to judge am i going to catch him at that corner would i be better to dive up the inside just before wait for like three seconds two seconds and then pass him on the exit what will i lose more time so you're constantly processing all this um, what, what about the team? Are they on the radio? Because obviously we, we watch a lot of Formula One. Are they, are they on the radio to you throughout? Or do they start getting tired and, and sort of going quiet at different stages? Yeah. And so we get away for some sleep. The team, you know, our engineer is basically awake for 24 hours. Um, so mechanics wow. can sleep, but we, we're refueling every 35 minutes. Okay. So the longest okay. period of time they can actually get away for is like 20 minutes. And also you're not going to fall asleep like this and wake up straight away. And they have to be awake for a pit stop. It has to be quick um and they're not changing tires every time but you know you're doing i think 36 pit stops in in the one um so the team are awake the whole time and yeah it's it's like a complete collective collective job i think actually someone told me like you know i think french employment law doesn't allow for everyone to to work people for 24 hours i mean obviously it wouldn't but I mean, no. the entire paddock wouldn't work then because everyone has <laughs> the pit crew for the 24 hours. Seven average. hours. Yeah, seven hours, and then you need a 12-hour break. Yeah, good. you'd end up having four four crews, four times of people. But, um, yeah, so everyone's kind of sacrificing their sleep for for what's hopefully a, a winning winning effort. I've always wondered how long those mechanics would take to change a regular car on the, the side of the motorway. Do you know how long do you think that would take with the, the jack? Do you think they'd still do it in a couple of minutes? What, what... I think they'd still, you'd still be amazed how quickly they could do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting also with what we do as side of F1 is we have very strict pit lane regulations where we have two wheel guns instead of four. And we have a limited amount of people we can go out to service the car. So it ends up being a bit of a choreographed sort of thing where some, one guy's picking up a wheel changing the wheel and then running around with another wheel dropping it picking up on the other side yeah and then running back to fit that wheel he just dropped um and then everything has to come back across the line before the car's sent so there's all these things that happen and we have an air jack instead of two men at the front and back of the car lifting the car we have a pressurized air hose that goes into the side of the car which lifts the car automatically because we have you know three air jacks that just drop into the floor and lift the car um, so there's loads of these small changes that make endurance racing that a little bit more, you know, cool to look at because you, yeah. don't, you don't realize these things until you're actually there. Um, and then the whole event of it, you have, you know, up to 300,000 people there. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how in the testing, it's really dark at the moment. There's no like, you know, it's not that lit of a circuit. Obviously, all the corners have got lights on for sure. safety and this. But when you get to the race, there's so much light pollution from all the fans and all the camping and everything that it's it's actually much much better lit when you get to the race than it was in testing, um, which is something you can't experience until you actually race there for the first time. It's not something you'd ever think of. How important with the stressful situation for 24 hours or even indeed the six hours for the, the World Endurance event or the, the European Series, the four hours, that you keep your kind of personality, your demeanour positive when you're around all these people, the team, how important does personality come into it? Because I guess there's always a stereotype of the kind of, braggadocio racing car driver but i suppose it's, it's hard for you to sustain that or people to put up with you for that long if you like that yeah exactly and you find that the teams are successful have really good work environments in them um and i think one of the most important things i've ever been sort of told or noticed is a driver's ability to motivate the team rather than just get in the car and do his job um mm. you know you're not you're reliant on a lot of people to to kind of pull their weight for you to actually succeed and win races. It's more than just your performance and the car's performance. It's more than just the engineer who's, you know, making the decisions with you about the setup. It's the mechanics, the strategy, 
um, when you do have a crash, which you will have, the motivation of the mechanics to work throughout the night and fix the car. Um, you know, last year, the sister car, our teammate, um, it's funny because you say teammate, we have drivers in the same car, but you also have the sister car. So there's two cars from the team. Okay. One basically wrote the car off in qualifying. Um, <laughs> So they had to rebuild the car with a different tub, um, which was throughout the whole night. It was, you know, 14 hour job. Um, and it was only just finished before the start of the race. If those mechanics aren't that motivated, aren't behind you and that program and that campaign to win the races and don't truly believe they can, it's going to take a lot longer. Um, mm. So having pretty devoted people like we do at United is, um, is pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was it like to race with, well, I think maybe you still do, with Paul DeResta, the former Formula One driver, who's obviously a pundit now at, at Sky Sports as well. What, yeah. what did he tell you about his experiences in, in F1 and, and how that translated to endurance racing? Yeah, I mean, um, there's obviously loads of different characters in, in motorsport. There's, there's Paul, who's raced with the team a bit. I raced with him in 2020, and that last weekend he was in the car, uh, our sister car, that actually won um which makes it even more annoying <laughs> um yeah you there's loads of great drivers that you come across there's um there's a huge sort of um like crossover between formula one drivers and drivers that have done indycar and other top levels of motorsport and le mans um i think one year we had something like a dozen f1 or post you know um xf1 drivers just in lmp2 mm. um so there's been you know Paul, there's been Bruno Senna, um, Guido Vandergaard, Nick de Vries is the reserve driver. There's, you know, there's loads and loads and loads of drivers that, are, that have done F1 or, or currently, you know, are reserve drivers for that sort of thing. Um, and it's a completely different discipline, really. Um, mm -hmm. Normally, you find that a, a guy who's quick in, in one category of racing will be quick in the other. It's not a given, but that's normally the case. Um, so it's, it's always interesting how, the, how they're finding the lap time. Quite often it's the same, but they might have slight gimmicks here and there that, that, that there's an advantage from, um, which which is obviously completely transparent with modern day data. But if, if I want to search for, for what Paul or Bruno or Felipe, any of the guys are doing, I can go on the data and have a look and more than likely my engineers already spotted it. Mm. Um, there's loads of things like this that really impact lap time and stuff, but it's because it's a team sport, it's transparent. Is it more meritocratic than Formula One? Because I think, and I, we probably over-exaggerate this, but there's a sense with some people that Formula One is partly your really talented drivers like Verstappen and Hamilton, and then partly people who's, who've got rich dads who, who buy a team or, or whatever it is and sponsor them to get into it. Do you feel, is it, is it, is there nowhere to hide in endurance racing, I'm guessing? In some way, there is some way it's much more meritocratic because um, we have more manufacturers coming into the sport. So it, it, if you were to ask me this question in, in two years' time, when all these manufacturers have come, yeah. And you have, you know, Toyota, Peugeot, um, Porsche, Acura. Um, and I think, I think there were 10 um, Alpine, Cadillac. You have all these manufacturers. That's a lot more manufacturers than you actually have in F1. You, you don't realize that in F1, it's, mm. it's what you, Red Bull isn't a manufacturer of car. No. They have a stable income. Mercedes is, McLaren is, um, Renault, Alpine is and um ferrari are so you have a lot of customer teams essentially that survive on sponsorship like Haas, williams um you know aston martin was, was not really aston martin it's kind of force india it's a racing mm. point yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and other other teams that survive on, on revenue of, of sponsors and things like this so in endurance racing where it is manufacturer where it is um you know a, a big company a conglomerate behind it where they have sort of huge profit margin that they can take the money from and put it into research and development and go racing or marketing budgets, things like this. They really do just want the best drivers. Mm. Um, and that's not to say anyone in F1 isn't the best drivers, but that it brings a room or a bigger window of people that have the budget to be able to go racing. Um, and yeah. racing is a, is a very expensive sport. And we do have many, many people that bring money in into the sport. Otherwise it wouldn't, it wouldn't survive and be sustainable. But at least in the top class at Le Mans, as it's manufacturer based, it's, you know, Ferrari, Mercedes, all these people. Um, yeah. That, Mercedes not, but Ferrari, Toyota, Porsche, that just want the six best drivers to be able to win. Um, and I think the clinical difference between Le Mans for manufacturer. So for Ferrari, 
doing Le Mans who do F1, for example, that are coming yeah. into they they do it now in GTs, but they're coming into a hypercar. Um, and for Acura and for Porsche, the biggest difference is at the end of the year after Abu Dhabi, it was Max Verstappen has won the World Championship. It was Lewis Hamilton has won the World Championship. Yeah. After the month. Controversially. Yeah. 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 Exactly. (laughs) Controversially, too. But it's always the driver. Um, Yeah. And at Le Mans, it's it's the team. It's Ferrari have won Le Mans after 20 years outside the sport. It's Toyota win Le Mans for the third time in a row. Mm. It's 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 much more recognition for the team and the manufacturer. And that's what's kind of special at Le Mans. It's always been about the manufacturer. It's not been Hanson Albuquerque. Duresta win Le Mans because that doesn't really ring off the tongue, does no, it? No. But it's much better to say United Autosports win Le Mans or or the manufacturer. So so that's that's one of the main reasons it's attracted a lot of manufacturers back. It's because it's actually them winning Le Mans rather than the drivers, you know, massive media presence overshining it. It's it's funny you say that because I, I watched the film, and I really enjoyed it. And I don't know what you'd be you have more nuanced take on it, but Le Mans sixty six with Matt Damon and Christian Bale. But yeah. then that apparently was called Ford versus Ferrari. And I think it, in the United States or something like that, that's how it was actually yeah, it was. titled was the, and that was the burning rivalry that, that came through. So it must be sweet to get, I guess, Ferrari back in it as an iconic legacy brand from, from endurance racing. Yeah, it is exactly. Um, and there's been many different manufacturers across the years that have seen their dominance. And, you know, Audi are basically our Mercedes in the past. Yeah. They've won a significant amount. One driver in particular, Tom Christensen, has won a huge amount of Le Mans. I think he's won like eight, maybe even more, wow. 10. I can't remember. I need to look it up. I think like maybe even more than that. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's always the manufacturers that, that win Le Mans. So, what, what did you make of that film, by the way? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's, it's funny to me. I enjoyed it. I like the movies, but it's... Um, I was talking to... I can't remember who it was. I, was, I hadn't watched it at that point and they were asking what it was like and I said what was it like and yeah it's a decent movie but it's still one of the Hollywood movies where a driver's racing down the Mulsanne straight and he's looking left and the other driver's yeah. looking right and suddenly he finds another gear and he's overtaking him yeah. and the, yeah. the other guy's not flat out so then he puts more power down you know and there was like yeah, you think why, why are we going so slow before yeah, exactly. yeah. like we're all driving just looking at each other and then you know <laughs> finding another gear there and then, and then suddenly like this you know, overtaking one another. Um, no, but it was a good movie and it, it brought a lot of um, attention back to Le Mans, much like Drive to Survive did for, for F1. Where, where, um, where, do you, where do you watch Le Mans, Le Mans 24, but the European series as well? What, is it Eurosport that it's on or is it? Yeah, Eurosport's the main, the main channel. Um, yeah. The European Le Mans series is aired also through YouTube. They, they, they have it live on YouTube, which is great, which means you don't have to pay um, whatever That's it cool. is, £6.99 for the coverage yeah. of that race. Um, but WEC is Eurosport and many different other um yeah broadcasters and i think there's an app you can watch it on too but I, i'm not sure which commentary you get yes like f1 you what you watch you know f1 tv or sky and suddenly the picture's slightly out of sync and one's commentating the other one's <laughs> not in a different voice in this one um but yeah for for, for le mans it's, it's more about going to it as an event um you know i think there's... do they stay up do the, the fans stay awake or do they sleep or what's there yeah for, sure. yeah for sure it's like a big party for a lot of them I mean, it's a lot of English people too. Um, it's, you know, because it's, it's, it's not that long of a drive to get to Le Mans. It's kind of middle of France. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's a huge, huge English presence out there. Um, and obviously the French love it as it's on the home soil, but it, it attracts people from all around the world. Um, and the fact that in its peak, you know, you could get nearly 300,000 people there. Um, a 24-hour, you know, some people are there for a 24-hour kind of booze kind of, and fueled event <laughs> and other people are there just for the racing so you get a huge crowd of different people um and that was all what was so strange for me in 2020 when i won it is i was there with absolutely no one um everyone was wearing masks oh pandemic yeah and, of course yeah yeah exactly so yeah. i stood on the podium with a mask on oh wow and looking down at, at no crowd yes that was really strange and uh you know it gives you goosebumps when you're you're stood there and at the the start formation of you know you're doing the sort of build up to the race that you have all these things you know the the flag the starting flag gets flown in on a army helicopter and then they rappel down ropes from a ridiculous wow. height and then you have you know planes flying over music playing but then when the national anthem goes off and you have this sea of french fans next to you and the noise just 
elevates just goes straight through your body it's it's, it's amazing um you really appreciate the event at that moment yeah that must be wild i mean to, to do that so young as well what, what are your ambitions because we've got to wrap up i know because we've i've kept you a good while we've had some technical difficulties but what were your your ambitions now at this stage because you're, you're so young do you do you consider yourself staying in this form of racing other forms of racing and if what what's beyond you've still obviously got a long way to go but what's beyond racing because i'm guessing it's difficult for drivers it is for all athletes but for drivers in particular you mentioned that adrenaline to to get to a sort of normal desk job might be quite hard after after being you know your your kind of nervous system being forged in this in this extreme environment yeah um true i haven't actually given it some thought um mm. in terms of after i'm still trying to work on uh here and now my sort of long-term aspects in the sport um yeah i still want to accomplish obviously a huge amount more get myself in in a position where I'm with a manufacturer in the next coming few years mm. um, and be able to challenge for the overall podium at Le Mans. Um, and yeah, hopefully a few more world championships on the way. Um, it's, it's never easy. And uh, and yeah, what, what do you do after? I'm, I'm not sure. It depends how good your career is, really. But you would go into, you, you can't go back into single seater stuff. Do you think that's not, that's not. Uh, it, it's very rare for someone to go from endurance racing across the single seaters. Um, it was done a few years ago with Brennan Hartley. Um, and I think he struggled a little bit, um, but it's more common for drivers to cross over this way. You know, Fernando Alonso did Daytona and Le Mans for a few years before he went back to. Yeah. To, was he, um, how, how did he, how, how was he at that? He was good. You know, he was with Toyota, which at the time were basically the only manufacturers. So it was nearly racing themselves, um, but he still was in the winning car. Um, and from what I saw, he was definitely one of the strongest guys. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. Like I said, if you're a top guy in F1, you're more than likely going to be at the front of uh, um, of endurance racing um, and vice versa. I think the, the level of driver is so high now that it's it's incredibly competitive. So, yeah, for me, it's just trying to position myself properly for this manufacturer wave that's going to come in the next coming two years. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to have longevity in the sport. What would be so the dream? What would be the dream car? Would it be a, a Porsche or a Ferrari? What, what's the? I'm, I'm I'm honestly indifferent now. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you have to um, be in the moment. Yeah, political. Yeah. I think I think before the news coming out literally last week that Audi weren't going to um, do their efforts, even though they'd announced that they were pulling out. Um, Audi have got the biggest history in the sport. Okay. Um, Ferrari obviously is, is a brand that everyone wants to race for. Because yeah. There's, there's nothing cooler than saying you know you race for Ferrari. Um, <laughs> especially with its legacy um, that's huge but like I said um, Audi the VW group they have a huge presence Porsche um, at Le Mans and you have all these new manufacturers kind of coming back that haven't been around for a while um, it'd be cool to see someone like Bentley come in you know mm. like the Bentley boys oh yeah um, exactly but there's, so there's all these there's all these manufacturers that I think might might end up signing up and announcing their program um, I'm hoping for it as well yeah Give you a car to drive around in your spare time as well would be uh, be nice. Yeah, exactly. It'd be pretty cool. Um, and then after that, when I turn 40 something, you might find that by the time I'm 40, which is like nearly 20 years away, that we might still be racing till we're 45. Because Really? 140 now? That's impressive that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most most drivers kind of still at, at the retirement age, kind of 40 is normally the number, maybe early 40s. Yeah. But we're all living longer now. We're all fitter and healthier. We're more aware at least. Yeah, Alonso. Yeah, Alonso. Exactly. Yeah. He's my age or, or a bit older. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, um, so we might find that it's a, it's an even longer career by the time I get there. Brilliant. Well, really impressive what you've achieved so far, and and, and at such a young age to handle such pressure and extreme circumstances. We know you can, we can watch you on Eurosport or YouTube, as you as you say, to circumnavigate the the, the uh, cost. But what about following you personally, your social media? And I've got a website as well that that documents what you're up to. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram. I think nearly everyone's on Instagram these days. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Instagram, I try and try and keep Not live updated. streaming in the car, are you, or anything like that? No, no, I'm not. I think one one guy tried it once and got a hefty fine from the FIA. But yeah, um, Phil Hansen Racing is what, what I'm called on Instagram. So you can kind of follow the positive side of every event from there. I always make it look like a, a dream. Um, but it's, yeah, it's great. So follow me from there, I guess, is, is the best way to keep up with it if you're not watching the races. Brilliant. Well, Phil, really appreciate your time. Um, best of luck and, and get some sleep in ahead of the season as well. It sounds like you definitely need it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, Ed. What an impressive character. Unbelievable. 22 years of age to achieve such 
incredible exploits in such a high pressurized environment for so long as well that endurance racing it doesn't feel like it's like a kind of mosey on drive once you're in there for three hours trying to kind of maintain that energy level the food the nutrition the sleep the rest really impressive and be interested to see how his career unwinds and and, and unravels and particularly not in a negative way unravels unfolds i should say um and it's going to be fascinating to watch that and, and particularly later in life maybe has a family things like that how that changes the dynamic i think we often talk about that in sports journalists the challenges for people who are so focused athletes on the themselves in a lots of senses their profession their trade and how when that focus naturally changes when you have children how its ability to accommodate that and sustain a career but he's ambitious to go till 40 so wish phil Hanson, the best of luck. Do check out his website, follow him and story. And I'm going to try and look on, watch some of that on Eurosport. And Le Mans 24 is certainly something I think I should have to try and observe in person. Because a lot of documentaries on it. The film I mentioned with Matt Damon and Christian Bale. But I think, yeah, it's a cool sport. Almost one you can check in and out of, I suppose. It goes on for so long. A bit like Test Match Cricket. Oh, well, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please rate it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening it to it on. I think there's a variety, maybe 12, 13 platforms now. That would be really cool. You could email me if you want. Hello at drapermedia.co.uk with any suggestions. Always welcome to constructive criticism on the, the reviews as well. Um, not just flagrant abuse, but you know what I mean, constructive criticism. Anyway, thank you for, for being here. We really appreciate it. Any word, word of mouth referrals to friends is fantastic as well because I know they're powerful personally. When I get referred to podcast, it means a lot. So thank you for, to you. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene V, specialists in the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installation. Check out Jason Briggs, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham online in the Montpellier courtyard in the Cheltenham here in the west of England is where they're housed if you're local to this area. And thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company not far from here in the west of England. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, try some of their supplements, whether it's a multivitamin, vitamin you may call it, or a bespoke supplement like vitamin D3 is something, is something that's been very prevalent in news circles and a lot of doctors con conceding agreeing now that vitamin d vitamin d3 is is integral to health and a lot of us are deplete in it particularly in the northern hemisphere anyway go to cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk and at checkout the discount code associated with uh, myself ed draper is the code draper10r my last name d-r-a-p-e-r the numbers one zero and the capital letter R. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. Have a great week and goodbye for now.